Okay, everybody, welcome back once again to Tech Gumbo. I'm Haggai Davis II, along with Haggai Davis III, and we'd like to welcome you to Tech Gumbo. Here on our show, we like to talk about the past, present, and future of all things technology in a topical, interesting, and digestible way. Without geek speak or a bunch of acronyms, we just want to talk about technology that's important to us and important to you. We also want to thank Cardinal Capital. To business owners and CEOs, hopefully you have a good relationship with your lender. Even if you do, sometimes you face other challenges, such as a need to consolidate debt, a want to level out your cash flow, or a desire to buy new equipment because you're in growth mode. If this describes you, give Cardinal Capital a call, whatever your need or challenge. They have over 4,000 lenders where they source commercial capital for business clients. Chris, Gary, and Rob at Cardinal Capital have a passion for business, and they want you to succeed. When you meet with Cardinal Capital, they get to know you and your business so they can present your needs to lending institution that will best fit your unique situation. In short, they go after money for your business. They translate your business into what's important for lenders, and they are good at it. Depending upon what the deal is, no matter how complicated or straightforward, they will help maximize your profitability while setting your business up for success. They find the best solution for your situation, all while being fun and easy to deal with. For more detailed information, visit their website at cardinalcap.net. You can also call them 225-308-3700 or email them info at cardinalcap.net. Okay, Mr. Davis, let's have ourselves a helping of tech gumbo today. I'm excited. Start off with the news and updates. The Biden administration is trying to get the smart devices to come with a new cybersecurity label. I actually really like this idea a lot. It would be called the U.S. Cyber Trust Mark, and they want companies to start putting the Cyber Trust Mark on their devices, which meets the requirements. This really is about the IoT, the Internet of Things devices, your Roombas, your refrigerators, your smart TVs, all of these things that connect to the Internet in your house, but come with generic passwords, the username, admin, password, admin, and people don't think they need to change that, leaving a big gaping hole for hackers to get into, whether it's at your house or at the office. This new cybersecurity label will will have these companies create a stronger default password. Right. So stronger default passwords, data protection, software updates, and incident detection capabilities. The goal is to have this become something very much like Energy Star, but for security of smart devices. They want it to be something that you can stick on a device, and whenever consumers are going out looking to make their decisions, they can say, oh, this device will protect me better than that other device. I'm going to take this into account whenever I'm making my choices. I just think this is such a good idea. This is the first good step. This is not the end all, the cure all, and the be alls, but this is a really good step to plugging the holes that, and we've been talking about for years and years and years on this show, how exposed the IoT devices are and leave your Wi-Fi networks good on, good on the federal government for doing this. I think another interesting part of this is also it will come with a QR code so that buyers can scan because cybersecurity is not static. Cybersecurity is a very dynamic threat that changes and evolves over time. And so you can see, is this device being updated? Is, this, is it still being protected by that company? And so 
This is not just that you put the sticker on and you ship it. This is a commitment from these companies to maintain some level of protection. And so I really like the fact that they are allowing this additional layer of security to communicate to the public. And, and this is a voluntary support by appliance manufacturers and retail associations and retailers. I mean, we've got Google, Samsung, Logitech, Amazon, Best Buy, and you know all these different companies that are coming together saying, yeah, we think it's a good idea too. Oh, this is, this is a win. Right, because all these companies know that if they make their products safer and you put that label on the package, consumers are more likely to buy their stuff. They already make good products. And so being able to clearly communicate that to the average public so that that way that they can know, okay, this is something that is is going to protect me. It's, it's going to be better off. Very much agree. Huge win here. Moving along, not, not a good win. <laughs> the U.S. Senator Ron Wyden wants to investigate Microsoft for its negligent cybersecurity during the SolarWinds attack. So just to refresh people on what the SolarWinds attack was, this was back in 2020. This was a very large, very well-coordinated effort from the Russians. They were able to penetrate deep into U.S. government computers, and it is one of the most well-coordinated, well-executed, terrifying cybersecurity attacks in history. And Senator Wyden's argument is that Microsoft did not maintain Outlook well enough. That Outlook was the initial door into SolarWinds, and that's how all of the, the Russians eventually went in, was through the door in Outlook. But whenever you have this many people operating for this long, they're going to find something. Absolutely. I mean, Senator Wyden is saying that while Microsoft was trying, they weren't trying hard enough. They weren't trying fast enough. So we need to investigate them and ask them why weren't they trying hard enough and going fast enough to try and stop these attacks, which is just not a real good argument to have when you're talking to somebody about cybersecurity and, and like as if Microsoft was only working three days a week and taking four days off to when it comes to cybersecurity. It's a really, really weak argument. Yeah, that there are just so many different possible openings into a large computer network. And that's, you can plug most of the leaks, you can do a really good job plugging most of the leaks. But whenever you have a team of sophisticated hackers like the Russians had, and you have all the time in the world to just sit there and go knocking on every single possible door, you're going to find one. That's just how cybersecurity works. It is not possible to be 100% secure. And SolarWinds was, it was a security system that businesses and government entities were using around the world in, to pick on Microsoft because one employee had Microsoft Outlook on a desktop that had a, a port open or something ridiculous like that. SolarWinds was a very sophisticated company. They had a very, very sophisticated system. And to think that you're going to pick on Microsoft for a SolarWinds breakdown, there's a lot of other things going on in the world that 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 could be interesting to look at. This is just not one of them. And as you pointed out, that when, anytime you have an attack this large, a failure this large, 
there are going to be layers of mistakes that SolarWinds had issues, Microsoft had issues, a lot of other people had tiny little holes and just you they chained one hole into the next one into the next one into the next one into the next one. And so do you blame the first one? Do you blame the last one? Do you blame the one in the middle? Yeah, that's I agree. This is just not not the way to go about causing meaningful change. Moving along, the FEC, Federal Election Commission, is wanting to limit the artificial intelligence in political ads ahead of the 2024 campaign. I wholeheartedly support this. This is, I am absolutely terrified of what generative AI will do to our trust, will do to our information, will do to, you know, the concept of fake news and deceptiveness. That one of the incidents which spurred this was that the DeSantis campaign shared a video containing fake images of Trump kissing Anthony Fauci. And while those images are humorous in a vacuum, if someone didn't know that they were fake, that could meaningfully affect their perception of those candidates. And that, that, that shouldn't. That's not fair. We should at least have some sort of mark on artificially generated images. We, we, we need to set up guardrails around this. And I, I agree. The, the, the need to regulate is, is there. The, the, the problem is, is the FEC the ones who, who can and should be doing it? There is there's some debate as to whether or not they have the authority. Senator Klobuchar is putting out that, that she's going to be introducing bipartisan legislation to make sure the FEC has the authority to deal with artificial intelligence and advertising because AI is so brand new to this this kind of campaign. It's a, it's a question mark. It's a yes, they probably do. Yes, they should. But do they? Let's hope. And so I think if Senator Klobuchar can can put out this bipartisan a legislation and get that in place ahead of the campaign, that would be great. We will ultimately have to think of AI very much like we think of the internet, that you had to develop a whole new set of rules and regulations around how do campaigns use the internet? Because it just, at first you tried to hit it like a whack-a-mole, but it became so pervasive and it is absolutely everywhere. I think AI will become like that, that the sooner we can get out in front of it, we can make sure we don't have serious breaches of trust, that we communicate clearly who the candidates are and what they stand for and allow the actual issues to rise to the top. I think that just will provide for a better election environment. So the next story we wanted to talk about a little bit in your wheelhouse California has opened up the idea that autonomous vehicles can take to the streets. They are now allowing robo-taxis in in San Francisco 24-7. Previously, they had been gated by time windows, but now they will be allowed to roam around all day and all night. This was the California Public Utilities Commission gave permits to Waymo and to Cruise to go ahead and start doing this in the city of San Francisco. However, some of the leaders of San Francisco weren't really happy that, hey, you're doing this in our city. We should have the right to control what happens in our city. And the state of California saying, yeah, okay, fine, whatever. We've already passed. Move along. Yes, this will turn into an interesting political 
argument. And it, I have no idea who's ultimately going to come out on top and who's who's going to be able to argue better that it should or should not pass. I think that the immediate impacts from a transportation, from a self-driving car standpoint, probably won't be that major. That they're not operating in a large part of San Francisco. The, the fleets aren't that large to really influence traffic one way or another. I think this is much more a, a symbolic fight than it is a fight that is more meaningful. And I understand people's hesitation and skepticism. I think that right now we are in a place wherever a lot of people are starting to ask more harsh questions of artificial intelligence, of automation. And that we see that with a lot of the lawsuits that are being filed against ChatGPT. And we see that with a lot of people protesting self-driving cars. They're very visible. They're very obvious. And it is something wherever if you are frustrated about a lot of automation, you can channel that into something that is right there in front of you with this car. When you start talking about how many millions of cars there are in the state of California alone, in 2020, there were 551 cars that were that drove about 1.8 million miles. In 2022, it doubled to a little over a thousand cars, but they drove almost five million miles. And so, you're not talking about a, a huge number of cars, but you are talking about a significant number of miles driven by these cars. That's also That's, over the entire state of California, though. Exactly. That's not just in the city of San Francisco. And so how many of those cars are actually sitting there zipping around the Bay Area? That's a number which is much more closely guarded by those tech companies. And so, yes, I think that it's this is something that is growing. This is could be a problem in the future, but it's not like Lyft or Uber, wherever the only barrier to entry is just someone downloading the app and going out and driving. That, that person already owns their own car. Google would have to buy every single new car and they'd have to put all their hardware on every single new car and they'd have to put all the software and they'd have to test all of that. And that's a very intensive process. And so your growth rate is just naturally going to be much slower. And, and you know, I get the San Francisco city officials are they are they don't want to be the guinea pig for the rest of the country for the rest of the industry especially the rest of the state but kind of you already have been i mean we've had this geofenced area in downtown san francisco where these cars were allowed to to roam it was not a big huge area i think it was 10 or 15 square blocks in downtown San Francisco where these cars could go. But now they've opened that up. They Now it's a little bit larger area inside of San Francisco where these cars can, can travel. And and then the rest of California on, on the open highways where they're allowed to, to go and test and learn. And it's the only way to get better is to actually have vehicles out there learning. My thought process here is also that there are going to be a lot of states that want this part of the reason why there's been so much testing in arizona is that one you're right next to california and two arizona has much more relaxed laws about testing about safety about all those requirements but arizona has a much more one-dimensional climate it is just always sunny there and that's the thing is that in order for these cars to continue to get better is that you need those different 
environments. The, the fact that San Francisco can be foggy, the fact that it can be rainy, the fact that you have hills and inclines, all these little extra curveballs that you want them to be seeing in time. You want them to be getting a little better every day. I get why San Francisco is the testing ground. It's also, if you have all your tech workers there, they don't have to move somewhere else. If they already live in San Francisco and they don't have to uproot their lives, that's a pretty solid pitch if you're that, that company. So the last story we wanted to get to today starts off with a brand new word. It's called streamflation. And basically, it's all these streaming companies are tired of not making money, so they're going to have to start increasing how much they charge per month for you to have these streaming platforms. Yep. We've seen it with Netflix. Their price has gone up and up and up. And uh, we see it now with Disney Plus and Hulu. And you have to think that Peacock, Max, which used to be HBO Max, Paramount Plus, Apple TV Plus, that all of these are just going to start going up $1, $2 at a time, just enough to where it's... It's not going to make you cancel, but over two years, three years, five years, that's going to make a difference. Which is real interesting when all these cord cutters went out there not going to do cable anymore because I'm going to save all this money. Are you really saving money anymore with with Disney, the Disney Plus bundle with Hulu and ESPN? Now it's going to start creeping closer to $30 a month when you're going to have, you know, the Netflix. Oh, if you want to go the Netflix with ads, now that's only $7 a month. If you don't want the ads, well, that's the $15 a month, unless you have multiple people using it. So we're going to add another $4 per month per user outside of your household. This is just going to get more and more and more as we go along. And I think what you're going to see is the that siloization, that people are going to just pick one and they're going to say, okay, I'm going to be a Netflix household or I'm going to be the Disney household or I'm going to be an HBO Max household. And maybe you get two, you, you tie two together for a little while. But I think that most people just won't sit there and have all of them anymore. And that, which was kind of like how it used to be that you had your basic cable. And that if you wanted to, you could go get the HBO package. You could go get the stars package. You could add this and that if you wanted it. But most people weren't sitting there with the thousand channels on cable. They had some smaller number, which they got to customize. Not to be finished there. Disney has also said that we're looking at this, this password sharing thing, and we may start cracking down on that ourselves. Yes, you have to think that they looked at the Netflix data and that it went very well for Netflix. And so Disney said, we need some of that. And so it's not going to be coming in 2024, likely. They said probably 2025, but they're looking at other ways to monetize in 2024 and that the password sharing is on the horizon. Which is really fascinating because nine months ago, a year ago, when we first started talking about Netflix going to start rolling out these password sharing crackdowns, everyone really expected the Netflix numbers to just hemorrhage. And while they did have some losses here and there, it wasn't as bad as what they were expecting. And apparently people have just said, okay, fine, I'll just start paying for my own Netflix now. I skated by for a long time. I guess the right thing to do is to get my own Netflix. I'm not giving up my Netflix. I don't think it's the right thing to do. I think it is the momentum is carrying them. It's that 
this is just such a part of my life and I, I don't want to give it up or it's whatever. It's an extra $2 or extra $3. Fine. Sure. Uh, it's, I can go click the one or two buttons and ding my account for that little extra per month. It wasn't, a, it, it was a very seamless transition. They made it very easy to just give us that small extra amount per month, that monthly recurring revenue. That is, it, it turned out to be a much easier pill to swallow for most people. We want to thank General Informatics for sponsoring our show. General Informatics is an information technology firm with a mission to make our clients even more successful through the best use of technology. Based in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, General Informatics is a premier IT managed service provider delivering exceptional managed IT solutions to a diverse base of customers across the southeastern United States. From the beginning, we have maintained our commitment to meeting the growing needs of our clients through continuous innovation. With over 20 years of experience and a team of 180 plus employees, including technicians, engineers, program designers, GI has evolved to become the leading IT partner of business schools and government agencies. Our managed services teams can run your digital infrastructure or support your team on an on-demand basis, letting you focus on your business strengths. This has become a proven formula. So proven that 98% of our clients continue to do business with us year after year. Whether you need IT services, new technology, or have a question, visit us on the web at geninf.com. If you enjoyed our show today, we are here on Talk 107.3 FM every Saturday at 4 p.m. And the show reruns Sundays also at 4 p.m. If you missed any part of the show or you'd like to hear this or previous episodes, check out our podcast. Available on almost every podcast platform, including iTunes, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music Audible, and more. When you're there, be sure to subscribe so you get notified every time we post a new episode. If you like our show or you have any suggestions, let us know on our website at www.techgumbo.net. Thank you for listening to Tech Gumbo.